From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. Welcome to Highway 89. I'm Mark Wade, and today we have the Tribeca Ensemble back with us again, a premier young musician chamber group who's toured the U.S. and Europe. Got Jesse Massey, first violin, Julie Beistlein, second violin, Devin Freebaron viola, and Audrey Hudgens cello. Also joined in the studio by a couple of guests, and we'll be talking to them a bit later. Today, Tribeca will be performing pieces exclusively by modern Utah-based artists. First song they'll perform is the String Quartet Number no. 11, Opus 89, by Nicolette Singleton. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Just heard the string quartet number 11, Opus 89, on Highway 89, music of Nicolette Singleton, performed by the Tribeca Ensemble. And uh, we're going to now have a little conversation with Victoria Petro Eschler, who's the executive director of the Salty Cricket Composers Collective. Distinctive name, not to be confused with anybody else. If you're going to Google <laughs> your organization, that's always great marketing. We Google are page the name. one on those Google results. You're the only. You're the only hit. <laughs> that's right. That's great to know. Now you've uh, brought groups in before. But tell us more then, more background on your organization. So Salty Cricket just celebrated 10 years, and traditionally we've been devoted to making sure the voices of Utah-based composers are heard. And so for the first six or seven years, we would just gather musicians from around the area and kind of throw them together for a concert and give composers who are here the chance to compose for them. But as times are changing, Utah is definitely becoming a more cosmopolitan place and amazing ensembles like the Tribeca Ensemble are starting to call us home. And so now we don't have to go hunting and gathering for those musicians. They come custom packaged to us when we're working with people like the Tribeca Ensemble. So what is the relationship then between performers and composers in this context? Um, we actually are trying to innovate that. In in most contexts, in most cities, it's kind of a disconnect. Composers tend to sit at their desks and write what they want to hear, and then performers tend to complain that what they wrote isn't doable. And so in our endeavor, what we're seeking to do is to actually connect the two, to give, um, and by engaging with people like the Tribeca Ensemble, we are able to create a longer-term relationship where they can... Uh, give insight maybe into composers and composers can learn about their strengths and play to them. Where the and, violinist can say, are you crazy? This is unplayable. Or, or say, hey, have you thought about writing it this way? Because it's saying the same thing. It's just nine times easier than what you were saying. And then composers can say, you know, what Bach wrote wasn't playable either. So take a risk on us. You know, it goes both ways. Okay. <laughs> so that's a, it's an interesting symbiosis. How often does the composer give in to the notes for maybe I should ask Ashkan this a little bit later. <laughs> How often are they willing to take It depends notes? on the composer and the performer. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> I'm sure it's complicated. So I'm going to ask you the question you're probably completely sick of answering, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> why not just play Mozart all the time? Mozart should be played regularly. Um, why do we need new music? So first of all, I think a lot of our audience members don't even realize that people are still composing. They still think it's powdered wigs by candlelight. But... There are a lot of composers. Universities are cranking out high caliber. And here in Utah, we have composers that can rival any major city center anywhere around the world. Um, a lot of people find the music that's being composed now less approachable than it used to be. And take comfort audiences. People walked out on Stravinsky. They thought Beethoven was full of himself. So this is a historical thing that composers get no respect in their time. However, I don't know about your life, but I know about mine. It is messy and it is chaotic and there are lots of things vying for my attention and it's difficult to understand. Anyone else trying to jump into my life wouldn't understand it. And our composers are the people who are capturing that for us. Our composers are holding the mirror up to our culture and our culture is really difficult to engage with. I've stopped engaging with some news sources because our culture is so difficult to engage with. And so if audiences will take the moment and listen to the composers, they will see what art does, which is explain the human experience, challenge us on things we haven't been challenged on, and build community for us. To Come you're not expecting me to have an open mind now. <laughs> you're allowed That's to have your favorite, you're allowed to still have your favorite modern okay. composers. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more question. You have been quoted as saying you promote crunchy, savory <laughs> music. What's wrong with gooey, sweet music? I like gooey, sweet. I personally think Mahler 9... Uh, movement four is perfect and wonderful, um, but we're not done. I mean, the human experience is evolving. Read a headline. Things are still happening, and our composers are, or should be, assuming a place in our culture where they are speaking for the zeitgeist, where they are, like I said before, holding up that mirror, and new performers should be chomping at the bit as Tribeca Ensemble is to challenge themselves, to push the art form further, to let what we traditionally call classical music, even though I hate that term, what we traditionally call classical music, to allow it to still do what it's always done, which is be a rallying point for our culture.
And as you've said, audiences are typically a little, uh, a couple of steps behind the composers. So that's, it's nothing new. They tend to be, but um, our concerts tend to break down that wall. We allow people to ask questions. We allow them to interact. Um, so we encourage everyone to come and try a concert. All right. Thank you, Victoria Petro Eschler, yes. for uh, giving us some background on the Salty Cricket Composers Collective. And let's get back into music now. Uh, next, we're going to hear three pieces, Cloud Seeding 10 by Devin Maxwell, then the string quartet number three, Sacred Spaces by Esther McGargle, and finally, Small World Fantasies 2, Beetle D by M. Ryan Taylor. We're hearing from the Tribeca Ensemble here on Highway 89. Thank you. 
listening to Highway 89. We're enjoying a performance by the Tribeca Ensemble. They performed Cloud Seeding 10 by Devin Maxwell. String Quartet Number 3, Sacred Spaces by Esther McGargle. And Small World Fantasies 2, Beetle D by M. Ryan Taylor. Now we're going to have a little chat with Ashkan Tabatabi. He's a composer. We're going to be hearing his work next, and he's on the board of the Salty Cricket Composers Collective. Uh, composition PhD student, graduate teaching assistant at the University of Utah, studied at Tehran University of Art and the Azad University, and taught at Iran University of Applied Science. I, uh, you're both an engineer and a composer. How does that work? Come now. The, the, the conventional wisdom indicates those are two polar opposites: the left brain, the right brain. Of course, we know left brain, right brain is nonsense now. I saw an MRI study where they had a musician inside an MRI and parts of his brain were firing neurons all over the place at the same time. Tell us about how you were able to uh, reconcile engineering and composition. Yeah, um, so uh, before I actually become an engineer, I um, obviously I was an active composer and songwriter and performer. So music came before engineering? Yes, okay. definitely. Um, but of course I was in my high and school. And then you found out that music doesn't pay, so you went to the stems. I, I, true, but um, you know there was other reasons. I can't really tell you just one specific reason that I chose to continue with music or continue with engineering. I don't know. I changed a lot. Um, but the, the reason that I was thinking about was that Okay, composition, what do you do as a composer? Most of the time you try to reach to a specific, say, emotional state um, that you want to share with other people, or maybe two or three, I don't know. And it turns out that sometimes, or most of the time, it is impossible to actually reach to that uh, uh, emotional state, psychological emotional state. Um, and so I was a little bit disappointed that you can't really be that accurate with music composi composition or any form of art. So. I was like, maybe I can just try science and see if we can just be a little bit more precise with um, goals that we have and see how much we can actually get close to uh, the results that you're expecting to see. Um, well, then it turns out in science, it's kind of similar. So um, basically, whenever you- Both creative? Both so creative, but, but we creative. still have the same problem that um, whatever hypothesis that you have, um, even if you call a study really successful, you can't really say that you're proving something. You always, you have to always um, go with a confidence level, which is never 100%. And you always have a small amount of error that you can't really, you have to deal with in science as well. So, so then, there's no guarantees either way. Yeah. With music or engineering, yeah. there's no guaranteed outcome. Precision is just not there at all, you know. So then I was like in this uh, awkward situation that I should probably pick one because, you know, I need to be focused a little bit. Um, and then I, I decided to go with music after I finished my bachelor's in material science. Um, uh, and the reason for it mostly was because in music, something that's really interesting is that you still have that little gap between what you expect um, to hear at the end and what happens after the process of composition. Um, but you can fill that gap with some sort of with, with expression and with metaphor, which actually brings some sort of a artistic quality. And that's what actually I think is important um, uh, in general for me. It's one of the most um, really uh, interesting part in composition for me to understand how I can actually fill that gap with metaphor. So the Tribeca Ensemble is going to be performing uh, first movement of your string quartet number one uh, in a moment. Have they given you feedback, and were you willing to take that feedback? Or were they just wrong? Uh, what do you mean wrong? 
<laughs> did they give you any hints of well this is working or that how about oh, as far this? as like orchestration yeah. Fe feedback on yeah. on the piece itself yeah i think we went back and forth before the performance i think when these guys uh were rehearsing the piece i think we went back and forth about a couple of spots um and i think i was pretty flexible with those because um yeah i think there was some of them there's just, just discrepancies and some of them um, it was just orchestration errors that I, 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 I was willing to actually fix them. Yeah. Brahms had his buddy, Josef Joachim, the violinist, and they would really collaborate on violin concertos. And Brahms was open to input from the violinist as this works, this doesn't work. Is it actually helpful to interface with the musicians? The performers? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, this is string quartet that you're going to hear. Uh, I've been revising for, I don't know, four or five years. So, and uh, the whole process of revising is you perform it first and then you know spots that are not going to work. So you just keep revising them, get feedback from the performance and keep revising them. I'm, I'm still in the process of revising it. Oh, so we're still, <laughs> this, this is, a, it's a work in progress. Yeah, it's always a work it in progress, at least for me. Some year. composers, although I should say they just move on, to, yeah. uh, but I always revise my pieces. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, all right, let's uh, take a listen. Thank you, Ashkan. Sure. We're going to hear his uh, first movement of his string quartet number one and then uh, two views of eternity for string quartet second movement and ever amen by Stephen Voorhees performed by the Tribeca Ensemble here on Highway 89.
You're listening to Highway 89. That uh, was a performance by the Tribeca Ensemble. We heard two works to round out the show. Sting, uh, string Quartet, First Movement of the Quartet Number no. 1 by Ashkan Tabatabi, and Two Views of Eternity for String Quartet, Second Movement, and Ever Amen by Stephen Voorhees. It's been our pleasure to have the Tribeca Ensemble here with us in today's episode of Highway 89. Grateful to Jesse Massey, Julie Beistlein, Devin Freebairn, and Audrey Hudgens, as well as to Victoria Petro Eschler and Ashkan Tabatabi for joining us today in Studio 6. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. I'm Mark Waite, producer and engineer, with assistant producer Christina Jorgensen and help from Lauren Neff. Thanks for listening.